Hey everyone, welcome to episode 8 of Toast and Topics. Before we get started on today's topic, we wanted to remind our audience to please take a moment to rate us or provide a review on the podcasting platform of your choice. We lost some old reviews as we were transitioning to multiple platforms, and they help more people find our podcast. Yeah, and if you don't enjoy our podcast, I would say share it with a friend or family member to see if they might feel differently. And if they do, then have them rate us instead. All right, so in this episode, we are finally back in the U.S. after a few weeks of international focus topics. Um, And we're headed over to Detroit to talk about the recent United Auto Workers strike, which has been making news headlines since the middle of September. In particular, we want to understand what the United Auto Workers are protesting, look at the pros and cons of unionization more broadly, um, discuss the politics of the Biden administration's support for unions, and what all of this means for the future of America's auto manufacturers and auto workers. Yeah, that's right, Sachin. So let's start by talking about what United Auto Workers even is and what the heck is going on in Detroit and Michigan right now. Um, United Auto Workers, otherwise abbreviated as UAW, is a labor union that represents about 145,000 automobile workers employed at America's big three automakers, Ford, General Motors, and Stellantis. Starting on September 15th, the UAW went on strike against General Motors to demand a few basic things surrounding better worker benefits, including a 36% pay increase over four years, better pensions and health care for those who have retired, a rapid end to a scheme introduced in 2007 after bailouts induced by the financial crisis, whereby new workers are paid less than existing employees, and then The UIW has also demanded increased protections for auto workers in the electric vehicles industry, which isn't regulated or unionized to the same extent that the manufacturing of traditional gas-guzzling vehicles is. This strike has some serious staying power. Thanks to an $825 million strike fund, union protesters can get paid up to $500 a week through all of this for 11 weeks. And we have only completed week four of the strike as of this moment. And I'm not usually the one to jump in on history here, but based on our readings, um, this isn't the first time that the UAW actually went on strike. Um, This union began strikes in as early as 1945. um, And more recently, they went on strike in 2019 against General Motors again, where about 48,000 workers walked out with a very similar set of demands. Um, And during that period, GM ultimately conceded after about six weeks of negotiation, uh, but the company lost about $3.6 billion in earnings over that period. That's crazy. Um, It's also interesting to me that the UAW is demanding such a steep wage increase. Just for context here, the average pay and benefits at Detroit's big three automakers range from $112,000 at Ford to 134,000 at General Motors. And so it is a bit difficult to argue that these auto workers are underpaid per se. Uh, But that said, the unions counter that the firms that their workers are employed at are making record profits, which are going into the pockets of senior management 
rather than into the backbone of these companies themselves. Uh, just to illustrate this, Mary Barra, the CEO of General Motors, had a total take-home compensation of $34.1 million in 2022, which is mind-boggling. Yeah, it's not too bad. Um, so it might be worth taking a step back now and just talking a bit more about unions more broadly, such as why they're needed and what they actually achieve. Um, there are about 14 million people in the United States that are part of a union, and that represents approximately a tenth of the working population. Um, unions tend to be more popular in the public sector than the private sector, um, but within the private sector, they're particularly common in industries such as transportation and manufacturing. Unions are argued to be good because they've played a major role in workers' rights for centuries. Um, labor unions benefit their members by negotiating better pay, better benefits, and better working conditions, all of which are ideal for any employee. Um, and just a stat from a few years ago that I think is interesting um, in 2021, non-union workers had a median weekly earnings that were 83% of earnings for workers that were part of a union. On the other hand, um, critics of unions say that maintaining these contracts make it more difficult for a company to fire unproductive employees and that they increase the longer-term costs um, that will decrease the competitiveness of many businesses. As an example, in the 1970s, foreign automakers entered the U.S. auto market and hired non-union workers to build their vehicles. And as a result of their savings in labor costs, they could afford to sell their vehicles for less than U.S. manufacturers. And this made it a lot harder for the unionized big three automakers in the U.S. to produce competitively priced cars. Um, and they lost market share during that period. Yeah, that's a helpful breakdown, Sachin. Um, so in the context of this strike, the UAW is certainly behaving as expected and pushing for greater workers' compensation and the extension of union protections into new automotive sectors like electric vehicles and battery production. But there is a tension here. America's automakers are in the midst of a major transition to electric vehicle manufacturing. And there are concerns that meeting the demands of strikers could limit the financial resources and leverage that they have to pour into these new initiatives. Um, this is a kind of unspoken point, but in many ways, the EV transition is really what this strike is about. As General Motors CEO uh, Mary Barra said, the EV transition is a critical juncture where investing is very important. As the entire car industry stands to be reinvented by the transition to electric vehicles, unions are trying to make sure that they can maintain their influence, while car makers are trying to make sure that they can actually get this transition right. Yeah, that's a great point. And, you know, the response of these automakers isn't all that surprising. I think that the pushback to the union's demands. Um, has been that this would cost them billions of dollars, which will impede this transition into new growth opportunities like EVs. Um, from the perspective of the automakers, the UAW represents about 150,000 US auto workers. And if all their demands were met, it would cost the company both in labor costs as well as work stoppages. Um, and there are some numbers to back this up. Some projections from a CNBC study 
estimates that the contract proposals made by the UAW would add more than $80 billion in labor costs for each of the big U.S. automakers over the four-year length of the contract. Ford also uh, backed this up and said that meeting all of the union demands would double their labor costs, which are already much higher than at non-unionized companies like Tesla. Um, A 10-week strike would also lead to lost production of about 1.5 million units of vehicles. And this kind of a supply shock could definitely be uh, have a non-zero impact on the inflation outlook and is the last thing that we need um, in this time. Additionally, shifting production towards EVs will require a lot of upfront capital. The world's top automakers already plan to spend about $1.2 trillion collectively to transition to electric vehicles through 2030. Um, And the transition to these electric vehicles has another added layer of difficulty. Many of the battery plants here in the United States are set up as joint ventures with foreign companies. And there are concerns that expanding union protections to these foreign invested firms could make the U.S. less appealing from the perspective of foreign direct investment moving forward. Yeah, these are all good and interesting points. Uh, For unions, there's quite a bit at stake as well. One of the UAW's worries is that electric vehicles are going to require fewer workers to build, which could diminish the bargaining power of labor moving forward. Um, The union also sees its influence as potentially slipping away to non-union plants in the South and to non-union battery factories. And there is a concern that this shift could really diminish their negotiating leverage moving forward. Um, So ultimately, the union wants to include uh, the workers at battery factories owned partly or fully by the automakers that they're striking against in the national contracts with the UIW. Um, And Sean Fain, the president of the UIW, has said that workers at battery factories are exposed to more dangerous working conditions and are paid much less than union members at vehicle assembly plants, which just indicates to members of the UIW that these workers also require um, additional protections. So as you can probably tell by now, the UIW strike has put workers, automakers, and the country at large in a real bind. On the one hand, there are these understandable demands from American workers for higher pay and better protections. But on the other hand, providing those protections may diminish the competitiveness of the U.S. auto industry during a pivotal transition moment that they need to get right. And you can imagine how weirdly that plays out in politics. Yeah, that's right. Um, On the political front, President Biden visited strike leaders in Michigan um, and became the first U.S. president in history to join workers on a picket line. Um, And former President Trump had also visited the strikers shortly beforehand as well. Um, Biden has been known to be a pro-union politician for most of his life, so it's no surprise that he went out and made the visit. But on the other hand, many of Biden's other efforts, like the Inflation Reduction Act and the CHIPS Act, for example, are heavily focused on revitalizing the competitiveness of American industries. Um, And to the extent that adding worker protections detract from that, these two goals may seem to be in conflict with one another. 
Um, regardless of Biden's views on unions, I think that his views on striking are a bit more clear. Um, Biden signed a bill in December of 2022 that blocked tens of thousands of railway workers from going on strike. Um, and he cited their necessity to the functioning of much of the rest of the U.S. economy. Um, so although Biden has supported the strikers at the UAW by, by visiting them, it's not clear that he's thrilled that these strikers are costing some of America's most important industrial giants billions of dollars a week. Um, so in other words, while Biden is pro-union, he isn't pro-disrupting the U.S. economy and wants to see these workers back. Hmm. That's interesting. I think a natural question here now is, how does this end? Sachin, I know that you've spent a lot of time thinking about this, and so I was wondering if you could war game for us how you think this strike is going to go in the months ahead and what you think the landscape is going to look like for unions um, in an even longer time horizon. Yeah, for sure. So politically, if the unions and car makers reach a deal in a few weeks' time, then I think that President Biden will come out of this clash looking stronger, having taken a stand for workers' rights without causing a major shutdown in manufacturing activity that persisted for too long. But if this strike continues to drag on and the American economy suffers, then Biden may come to regret his claim to be the most pro-union president in U.S. history. Um, and I think that regardless of how this strike ends, there are some structural headwinds to also contend with. Um, in the short term, the labor market and changing conditions in the labor market will be a, a big headwind for these union workers. Um, as many people know, economic data in the past few months have shown that staff shortages are lessening and more people are entering the labor force. Um, and at the same time, companies are cutting back on their hiring. So as labor demand comes more in line with labor supply, the balance of power will start to shift back towards managers and companies. Um, in the longer term, I think that this is sort of a now or never moment for American unions. There's really a large structural transition towards EVs. And if unions aren't able to secure protections in this fast growing industry now, then they're likely to lose leverage and have a harder time negotiating for this in the future. Um, and in my opinion, I think it's equally important for automakers to invest in worker skills so that they're actually prepared to transition to roles that require an entirely new skill set in manufacturing EVs. And it's inevitable that these skills will have to be developed in the decades ahead. Yeah, this is all great stuff. Thanks for this, Sachin. And thank you to everyone for tuning into today's episode. We'll see you again next time where we will try to make sense of the tragic events unfolding in Israel and Gaza. Thanks for listening to Toast and Topics. If you like what you heard, please rate, review, and follow us on the podcasting platform of your choice. While you're at it, follow us on Instagram too, at Toast and Topics, to make sure that you never miss an upcoming episode. Thanks, everyone, and see you again soon.